Welcome to Explore History's podcast on the popular literature known as chapbooks. In this episode, I will do a reading of a chapbook that represents a very popular form of the literature, those related to crime. In the 18th and 19th century, it was very common for publishers to produce chapbooks related to famous crimes. It was very common for such works to be printed for distribution at public executions. But the public's appetite for the lurid details of serious crimes and the lives of those who committed them meant that the sale of such works could go well beyond the execution of the criminal in question. The story we will look at now is in many ways typical of this genre. It is of interest on many levels, especially as it provides us with a significant window into the hardships experienced by many of the lower classes, the activities of low-level criminals that plagued Britain's cities and towns, and how a lack of opportunity, regular wages and security could easily lead someone down a path of destruction. This chapbook is titled The Singular Life and Adventures and Depredations of David Haggart, the Murderer, related by himself while under the sentence of death, with an account of his execution at Edinburgh, July 18, 1821, for the murder of Morin, one of the turnkeys of Dumfries Jail, and a copy of verses written by Haggart in the cell the day after his condemnation. It was printed in Glasgow by Orr and Sons Publishers of Brunswick Street, in 1839, so significantly after the execution of this criminal. This is an interesting little chapbook. It's 24 pages and um, in decent condition with very small print, but um, uh, an interesting one nonetheless. So here we go, The Life of David Haggart. David Haggart was born at a farm town called The Golden Acre near Cannon Mills, Edinburgh on the 24th of June, 1801. His father was a gamekeeper, but afterwards a dog trainer. He was early put to school where he acquired a good knowledge of English grammar, writing, and arithmetic. About the age of ten, a trifling accident occurred at home, which, for fear of punishment from his father, determined him to leave home. And from that moment he dated the commencement of his sinful career. He had made no wicked acquaintances yet, but committed several depredations by himself. The first of these was stealing a bantam cock from a woman at the back of the new town of Edinburgh. Having taken a fancy to it, he offered to buy it, but the woman would not sell it. He fell in the scheme of putting another cock of his own a-fighting, and then came off with his prize. His next was lifting a shop till from a poor woman in Stockbridge. Being some miles from town and tired, he mounted a pony which was grazing on the roadside and rode home, where he kept it for some time in an outhouse, where he had formerly kept a cuddy. He kept it there for several days until the owner found it out by accident. At Leith Races in 1813, he enlisted in the Norfolk Militia and learned the drum and bugle horn. The regiment was disbanded in about a year afterwards, and he was discharged. His father was then living in the south bank of the Canongate, Edinburgh, and he went home when he was put as an apprentice to the millwright and engineering business with Coburn and Baird in the Canongate, where he behaved with honesty was very well liked by his employers. His master having given up business, he was of course thrown idle, and at this time got acquainted with many worthless characters, among whom was one Barnes, an Irishman who had been bred a tailor in Dumfries. He was older than Haggard, of great bodily strength and a most skillful pickpocket. Barney put him up to a number of tricks, and they agreed to travel together in August 1817, when just on the point of going to England, they passed a day at Portobello races, picked a gentleman's pocket of 11 pounds, the first ever Haggard attempted in daylight. With this, they took outside places 
on the Jedburgh coach and got themselves genteely dressed. They attended St. James's Fair at Kelso and picked 20 pounds from two persons. From thence they went to Dumfries and stopped three weeks. They attended Lockerbie Fair and going into a public house, into a public house, and farm, a farmer and drover were casting out when Barney blew the coal and they fell a fighting, and both tumbled. Barney picked the farmer's pocket of 23 pounds. Haggart called for the waiter and appeared in a violent passion, putting him into such company and immediately left the house. They departed the next morning and went to Langholm Fair, where they took from a sheep farmer 100 pound and 10 pound notes and 120 shilling notes. But half an hour after, they saw John Richardson, a Dumfries officer, running about, but did not notice them. They took a post-chase and went to Annan, and next day took the coach for Carlisle. On other nights, they got two gold watches. They took about 70 pounds in hold during their stay in Newcastle. They then went to Durham, and at night broke a lonely house on a road to York. They got 20 pounds here. They are apprehended for this act, tried and found guilty, and sent back to prison be brought up for sentence of death at the end of the assize. They broke the prison that night, but Haggard only escaped. He provided himself with a rope ladder and gave the saw to Barney, who made his escape the same night. When Haggard was coming to Durham from York with his saw in company with a York pickpocket, they were pursued by two constables, and just as one was apprehending Haggard, he laid him low with his pistol. They got clear, and he never knew whether the man was murdered or not, but he thought so. They next went to Coldstream Fair, and Barney, being found attempting a farmer's pocket, got three months in Jedburgh jail. Haggart went to Newcastle again, to the same lodgings where he was treated like a son. Little did the people know who they were so kind to. He did numerous tricks here, and then proceeded to Edinburgh, where he carried on the same line, but did not live in his father's house. In September he started for Perth with one Henry, and had some adventures. They returned to Leith, were taken by the police for some crimes, got bail, and were liberated. Haggard had a number of adventures in Edinburgh in neighborhood and was put four months in Bridewell. After being released, he met with some of his companions, took a trip through the north. He was in Aberdeen jail for some time, and after committing more depredations, he returned to Edinburgh. They broke into several houses in Edinburgh and Leith, and on New Year's morning, 1820, Haggard had for his share five silver watches and a gold one taken on the south and north bridges. He remained in Edinburgh till the 18th, when he was taken up and put into the, uh, the lock-up house to find bail. He got out and one night paid a visit to the lock-up house, gave the keeper so much drink that he got the key and liberated six prisoners. He went to Leith the night following and took lodgings in Cooper Street and lived with a woman of the town. While here he committed various acts in Leith, Edinburgh and neighbourhood by tying some shop doors and thrusting his hand through the windows and grasping whatever goods lay in his road, breaking into numerous houses, picking pockets of watches, etc. In the course of these operations, he removed to different lodgings. On the 1st of March, while sitting in his lodgings with a pickpocket of the name of Forrest in Johnston Street, North Leith, Captain Ross, the police, and one of his men came in upon them. Ross seized Forrest carried him off, leaving Haggart in charge of the policeman. When left alone, the policeman opened a, bell, a bedroom door and was looking into it. When Haggart forced him in, locked the door, was making his way down the stairs when he was met by Ross and another policeman. A struggle commenced, but the two overpowered Haggart. He was carried to the police office, streaming with blood. He was kept here two days and then put into the jail to stand trial. 
On the 27th March, he got a small file, cut the chains off his legs, penetrated through two thick walls with his handcuffs, liberated Forrest, and got to the outside about five o'clock next morning. When on the outer stair, he saw a man coming up, Queen Street. He prepared to give him battle, but the man only said, Run, Haggart, run. I won't touch ye. Haggart took hold of Forrest's hand and ran even on to Dalkeith without stopping. He stayed there all night and stole twelve yards of blue cloth, started at two o'clock next morning for Kelso, robbed a farmer of four pounds, and set off for Dumfries. They were joined by two other pickpockets, one of whom was hanged shortly after at Glasgow. In Dumfries he picked several pockets and entered several dwelling houses when he fell in with his old friend Barney Maguire, never having seen him since they parted at Kelso in 1818. They were intending to leave Dumfries that night, but Barney was taken up. Haggard started for Carlisle next morning, but, for, but was overtaken and carried back to Dumfries. Captain Ross arrived in a few days and carried him back to Leith Jail. Barney was transported for 14 years. Haggart was tried at Edinburgh on the 12th of July, but got off. He was then sent to Dumfries to stand trial at the circuit there for housebreaking. His trial did not go on, and he was sent back to jail. Here he got acquainted with a lad, John Dunbar, who was under sentence of transportation. He also got acquainted with some people belonging to the town who seemed willing to do him a favour. So Haggart made the plan of four keys, and the person was to get them made for him, there being four doors betwixt his cells in the street. Having thus, as he thought, secured his liberty, he was too easily led into another scheme with Dunbar. Haggard thought himself certain of his own liberty, but he thought it would be a grand thing to clear the jail of all the prisoners. Laurie, another prisoner, proposed getting a stone and tying it in a napkin, and some morning to knock down Hunter, the head jailer, and take the keys from him. Haggart was not fond of using the stone. He did not want to hurt the jailer. Haggart was not fond of using the stone. He did not want to hurt the jailer. And he proposed, when Thomas Moran came up to the man under sentence of death, to gag him into a closet at the head of the stairs and take the keys from him. Dunbar and some others got the stone and put it into a bag. On Tuesday, the 10th of October, about 12 o'clock, they noticed Hunter the head turnkey leave the jail to attend the races. And shortly after, Moran came up with two ministers, whom he locked in the, the cell with McGrory, who was under sentence of death. Shortly after, Haggart placed himself in the closet at the head of the stairs, where he'd previously put the stone and bag. Dunbar then called up Moran to let out the ministers. He came up accordingly with a plate of potato soup for McGrory, and when he got up to the top of the stairs, Haggart came out upon him from the closet, and the pushing the door op and the pushing open of the door knocked the plate out of his hand. He then struck down and without the loss of a moment pulled the key out of the outer door from his pocket. He gave only one blow with the stone and threw it down. Dunbar picked it up, but no more blows were given, so that Moran must have received his other blows in falling. Haggard observed Dunbar on the top of him, rifling his breast for the key which he had got. Simpson had a hold of Moran's shoulders and was beating his back upon the steps of the stair. Haggart rushed past them, crossed the stairs as steadily as he could, pulled the key from his pocket, and opened the outer door. On getting out at the door, he ran round the east corner of the jail wall, and then walked rapidly round the back street, and round a great part of the town, till he came to the back of the King of Arms Inn. Dunbar made up to him, and that very moment they saw a policeman coming right up to meet them. On this they wheeled about and ran, but Dunbar was taken before he ran ten yards, and Haggard had the mortification to see his fellow adventurers secured. He once thought of bolting among them to rescue him, but the mob was too great for him. 
He went up through the yard of the king's arms without meeting anybody, crossed the high street, and ran down the vanel to the nith. He kept along the waterside till he got away to the east of Cumlungan Wood, having run nearly ten miles in less than an hour. He then got on the high road to Annan, when he saw a post-chase at full gallop, almost within twenty yards of him. Upon this he buttoned his coat, and leapt a hedge into a field where some people were raising potatoes. They all joined the policeman, who got out of the chase in pursuit of him. He crossed the field at a slapping pace and made for Cumlungan Wood. He bolted over a very deep ditch, covered with briars, and ran a few steps along the side of the hedge, to make the policeman think he was going into the wood. He then wheeled round, louted, and when they went up to one side of the ditch, he ran down the other. Little did they know he was so near them. He could have breathed upon John Richardson as he passed him. In this way he came to the crossroad, which leads from the Nith to the public road, and never did a fox double the hounds in better style. He then made for Annan, and getting on a mile or two on the Carlisle Road, he went up into a belt of planting. Watching an opportunity, he dived into a haystack and lay there till next day at two o'clock in the afternoon, when he heard a woman ask a boy if the lad was taken who had broke out of Dumfries jail. The boy answered no, but the jailer died last night. On hearing this, Haggart lay insensible for a good while. He left the stack and seen a scarecrow in a field. He took some of the old clothes and put them on to disguise himself. On the Wednesday night, he slept in a hayloft. In the morning, two men were feeding their horses, and he overheard them speaking about him. He started for Carlisle, and then to Newcastle, where he stopped for some days, and along with one Fleming, picked twenty-two pound in the market from a man. Here he passed close to Richardson, who was in quest of him, but was not noticed. He left Newcastle for Scotland, got upon the barrack coach, then took a ticket for Edinburgh, but went only to Dunbar. Next morning set off for Edinburgh, where he met with a gentleman, and took the same lodgings with him in the Lord Duncan Tavern, Canongate. After separating from the gentleman, he stopped Jock's Lodge with a friend. While here he visited his father and some acquaintances, disguised in women's clothes. One night, dressed in his own clothes, taking a walk from Portobello to Leith, he met Captain Ross of the Leith Police. Their eyes met and both stood motionless, till Haggart feigned to pull a pistol from his breast. Ross, knowing him too well before, quickly took to his heels, and Haggard instantly turned through the field and made to Jock's Lodge. Then, crossing the fourth, he went through Cooper to Dundee, disguised in sailor's clothes. There he committed a number of depredations, then returned to New Haven and went up to Edinburgh. Here the first thing he saw was a bill posted up, offering seventy guineas reward for his apprehension. This determined him to go north again. He arrived in Dundee and from thence went to Perth and attended fairs in Perth, Dunkeld, Kenmore, etc., and robbed some cattle dealers to a considerable amount. One night in his lodgings in Perth, two policemen came in upon him, but the determined manner in which he received them made them hesitate in apprehending him, and Hager gained an opportunity to escape. He left Perth for Glasgow and made up his mind to go to Ireland and started in the steamboat. Here he was recognized by the provost of Kirkaldy, who went ashore at Lamlash. Haggart was ready to jump overboard, but the boat went off without the provost. He landed in Belfast, where he attended fairs, etc., and was in continual scenes of robbing, knocking down, etc. At Drunmore Market, he was seized and taken before a magistrate. When asked what name, what name he had, he answered, in high Tipperary, he was John McColgan from Armagh. He was cross-examined and shown a Dublin paper with a description of his person, etc. 
He denied being a Scotsman and, was passed, and passed of the brogue so well that the magistrate was in doubts, but he was ordered to be detained, and three yeomen sat in the courthouse to guard him. He plied them so well with drink that he was prevailed on he plied them so well with drink that he prevailed on them to let a young woman bring him some supper. And when she came he got leave to speak with her privately, behind the boxes of the court, where there is a large window. He bolted right through the window without being hurt by the fall. He crossed the street and got into an entry, where he saw his keepers below the window staring at each other. He started for Belfast and then to Dublin, paid his passage for America at the Pigeon House. But meeting with one called O'Brien, he changed his mind. Here he robbed a man of one hundred guineas in gold and jaunted through the country in cars with women of, of bad fame. He was taken up for robbing a drover at Down at Downpatrick and put into jail, where he saw more scenes of wickedness than ever he had witnessed all his life. The women's room was immediately above the men's, and eight days' provisions was served out to them at one time. They blocked up the doors, made a hole betwixt the two apartments, and kept possession in the most riotous manner. Before his trial he bribed the drover not to swear he was the person, and he was banished for seven years. In jail he was visited by the magistrate at Drunmore, who ordered the jailer to put him in strong irons. Hagar denied that he had ever been in Drunmore, and said his name was O'Brien, and not McColgan. He was moved to Kilmainham Jail, among other criminals. Here, Here he made his escape, but was caught by some of the prisoners, informing the jailer of his desires. Next day, the whole of the prisoners were called out into the courtyard, and in a few minutes, John Richardson from Dumfries made his appearance and began his examination. He passed him once, but upon a second look over, he recognized him and said, Davy, do you ken me? Haggart turned to the jailer, and in a masterpiece of Irish brogue said, What does the man say? Don't you know him? was the answer. He said he did not, but John persisted that he did. On the second day he was put in irons and conducted by John and an Irish officer to Dumfries. They were three days and three nights on the road, and he experienced great kindness from the officers. On their approach to Dumfries, thousands of people met them with torches in their hands. From Dumfries he was conveyed to Edinburgh Jail, placed under the care of Captain Sybold, who, he said, was the kindest jailer in the world. He was tried on the 11th of June. The jury gave in a verdict of guilty. When the judge was passing the sentence, he said he grew dizzy and gasped for breath. He was carried back to jail where he behaved in the most penitent manner and wrote a history of his life for the benefit of his father, from which this narrative is a faithful extract. That's the end of that part of the story. Now the chapbook has a, a short song. The following song was made by Haggart the day after his condemnation. But his mind was soon changed to a more serious subject, and his whole deportment was afterwards extremely pious and resigned. Able and willing you will find me, able and willing you will me find, the bound in chains still free in mine. For with these things I'll never be grieved, although of freedom I'm bereaved. In this vain world there is no rest, and life is but a span at best. The rich, the poor, the old, the young, will all the low before tis long. Will all lie low before tis long. I am a rogue, I don't deny, but never live by treachery. To rob a poor man I disavow, but only them of high renown. Now for the crime that I am condemned, the same I never did intend, only my liberty to take, as I thought my life did lie at stake. My life by perjury was sworn away, I'll say that to my dying day. Oh, treacherous, you did me betray, for all I wanted was liberty. No malice in my heart is found, to any man above the ground. Now all good people that speak of me, you may I die 
for my liberty. Although the change you see me fast, no frowns upon my friends pray cast, for my relations were not to blame, and I brought my parents to grief and shame. Now all you ramblers in mourning go, for the prince of ramblers is lying low, and all you maidens who love the game, put on your mourning hoods again, and all your powers of music chaunt, to the memory of my dying rant, and all your powers of music chant, to the memory of my dying rant, a song of melancholy sing, till you make the very rafters ring. Farewell, relations and friends also, the time is nigh when I must go, as for foes I have none but one, but to the same I've done no wrong. Following the song is an account of his execution. Early on the morning of his execution, David Haggart joined earnestly in devotional exercise with his ministerial attendant. After the chaplain of the jail had given a prayer, one of the officers of justice appeared and ordered all the persons in the room to retire, as he had something to communicate to the unhappy prisoner. Haggard immediately exclaimed in a hurried tone, Oh, I suppose it is the executioner. His firmness for a moment abandoned him, and he walked rap idly across the cell with his arms folded and with dark and deep despair strongly painted on his countenance. He speedily, however, regained his composure, and when the executioner appeared, at once allowed his arms to be bound. He was then removed to a hall in the lower part of the lock-up house, where he was received by two of the clergymen of Edinburgh and the magistrates. After prayers, the procession proceeded to the scaffold. The conduct of the unfortunate youth there was in the highest degree becoming. While the beneficial influence of religion was apparent in the, in the whole demeanor, his natural firmness of character never for a moment forsook him. He kneeled down and uttered an earnest prayer, and after addressing a few words of deep and anxious exhortation to the great multitude of which he was surrounded, he met his fate with the same intrepidity which distinguished all the sections of his short but guilty and eventful life. Haggart terminated his mortal career on the gallows in the 21st year of his age. Though young in years, he was old in infamy, and his story unfolds as undeviating a course of wickedness as ever disgraced human nature. It was related at various times by himself while under sentence of death, and thus though the remembrance of and thus though the remembrance of the evil he can committed survives him, unfortunately no hood is recorded of him, excepting his, we hope not too late repentance. His adventures fall short of those of Barrington, Vaux, etc. He must be classed as the hero of a humbler sphere, without the atrocity that marks a kind of criminal grandeur and demands abhorrent vengeance, while lesser villainies, only contemptuous strips. He committed, however, at least one murder, that of Morn, the turnkey of Dumfries, jail, for which he suffered the merited sentence of the law. He never appears to have wanted courage in any of the appalling instances of dangers to which his turpitude exposed him. He was tall in stature and of a commanding aspect, limbs so flexible that he could, he could turn any way at pleasure, and legs that in speed resembled the deer when first started from its native plains. He mentioned some peculiar circumstances, an over-hasty birth, and two teeth when born, with an unusual forwardness of intellect and speech. Surely there were gifts not to be misused. On one of his apprehensions, being under close confinement in Edinburgh, he said, I cannot help it. I was born for a thief. Look at my fingers. They are all of an equal length, like the prongs of a fork and thus they never fail me. This was true. His fingers reached all to one exact length, and is rather curious, but by no means singular, or at being confined to that individual. 
The gentleman present who was esteemed for his researches in philosophy and nature said, My lad, make a good use of your long forked fingers, as many have done before you. One of the best emperors that ever lived, and the like, and so had a celebrated professor of music. The one was a virtuous, just, enlightened, and most exalted sovereign. The other, what Pope terms, a noble work, an honest man. And I could quote several other examples. Haggard only sneered at the remark and advice, joined together and said, fate was fate. An unhappy conclusion by too many out of the right line, who let things come and go as they will, and never set their shoulders to the wheel, but accuse predestination of all their wants and woes. Hager gives the following account of his habits and the peculiar vices which marked his character, describing also some of those vicious characters by whom he was initiated into and all the mysteries of iniquity. I never was given to drink, further than as it was promoted fun in society, but I was inordinately fond of raffles, cards, and dancing. This led me to the company of loose females that caused my ruin, and all I got spent profusely on them. Constancy was not my motto. Like the Grand Seigneur, I threw my handkerchief first to one and then to another, as my fancy prompted and my character for generosity urged them to meet me more than halfway. A good deposed woman may work miracles with a man who loves her, but alas for me, I only love the reverse of all that is virtuous, and those who for money would chat and advise me in iniquity. On the other hand, my male companions learned me to be expert in sin. I grew into such a state that I dared not to think or reflect night or day. I looked backward upon folly and forward with dread. I was ashamed to look my parents and relations in the face, and I fatally quitted my home. Oh, my poor mother, how bitterly she took on. But I was lost to all feeling. The devil had the upper hand of me. My most dangerous associate was a young man named Bernard Maguire, an Irishman who went amongst us by the slang appellation of the darling of a boy. Though of the sister kingdom, he was apprenticed to a tailor at Dumfries, but preferred the profession of a pickpocket. He was tall, athletic, and courageous, became my instructor in the science. In short, he was clever at everything, and always gave me fair play as to my share. But we sometimes played the double on our companions, even Bernard's own brother who was also a thief. Haggard, in his remarks in prison, cautioned persons against needlessly and carelessly exposing their money to view. One example he gives is, is as follows. We observed a gentleman one morning with a heap of notes in his hand coming out of a banking house. It was my turn to follow him. I did so from place to place without any chance offering. Something or another intervened, and it was full five in the evening before I could make a snatch at him. And then to my great disappointment, I got only 11 pounds. He must have been painted away, for it was in the very identical case I had seen him put in the notes in, in the morning. He must have been painted away, for it was in the very identical case I had seen him put the notes in the morning. While he was engaged in close conversation with a gentleman, I slipped past and robbed him so expertly that he was quite unconscious of the act. When committed to Downpatrick Jail, Hager gives the following account of it. I soon found my fellow... My, I soon found my fellow prisoners a queer set of lads. They had all their fancy women, and I was not long behind them in that respect. One lodged above me, whom I took a fancy to, and used through a hole in the top of my cell to hand her up meat and liquor, and a part of everything I had. The prisoners were here served out at three days' allowance at a time. One morning, after having received my usual supply, my fellow prisoners and I agreed 
to, back, to block up the passage that led to our apartment and break through to the women. They began to block up the doors with benches and tables, but I did not approve of that way and began with the coal spade to lift up the flags of the floor. And they all assisted me. And we barricaded the door so completely that the jailers could not, could not get at us. We then broke through to the females and served the door, their doors the same and kept the premises two whole days, during which time we gave way to every wickedness. And of all the depraved scenes of my short and sinful life, none came up in licentiousness to the jail of Downpatrick. After this period of riot, we were broke in upon and secured. I was ironed and locked up in a cell and kept in confinement till the day previous to my trial. Alas, a prison is the blackest and worst conducted place in the world. Many a poor lad is brought to many a poor lad is brought to the gallows at last because his first offence is punished by imprisonment. This teaches him evil ways. Whereas if he had been soundly flogged and sent home to his friends or parents. He might have turned out a good man. I cannot say my bad habits were learnt in jail, but this I can affirm. They were confirmed there. And so ends the chapbook story of David Haggart, the murderer. A very interesting tale which tells us a great deal about a life of crime and somebody who was deeply involved in all sorts of different activities at this time and suffered the ultimate consequences for it. If you've enjoyed it, we'll be having another one coming soon. And you can follow us on Twitter and Facebook, uh, Instagram. Uh, please give us a like if you enjoyed the tale. And uh, we'll have another one coming very shortly.